All right, let's do it. All right, we are back. Saturday night is feeling lit. From the armpit of Miami in Northeast Dade. I am Captain Brunch, and in front of me, sitting on the other side of this tiny little table, is Chimp. That means what's going on? How's it going, Chimp? Chilling, chilling. You know, one day I'm going to learn that language, but it's kind of hard. It's very um, profane. Well, life is very profane sometimes, so who am I to judge you and your people and your culture? So what do we have lined up for today? Well, as usual, we've got a crazy set of topics to discuss or put out there, throw against the wall. We've uh, we got a special guest coming on today, uh, one of the regulars at Bitcoin Brunch over here in Miami, our buddy Jay. He, uh, he's been a, a vocal and active supporter of our efforts over the last uh, month and a half or so, and... Uh, he really wanted to come on the show, get some ideas off his chest, shoot the shit, etc. So we're like, hey, all right. Hey, well, I'm the only shoot, shit shooter on here. No, you throw it. I uh, sh- <laughs> that's true. Or are we mixing metaphors? I'm going to need a poop cannon soon. <laughs> um, you know, I had this really interesting idea this week, and I'm trying to promote it. Uh, I'm trying to get some like momentum behind the idea, because I think if we enact the idea, it will itself have its own momentum. And the idea is called the Miami Bitcoin Vortex. What? Yeah, the Bitcoin Vortex. Okay, so originally the idea was called Miami Bitcoin Weekend, but I just feel like that's, I don't like that phrase as much. Oh, you're trying to do like an event around some sort of conference? No, okay, so yeah, you're getting the right feel though, right? So it's the idea at this point is a quarterly decentralized Bitcoin conference Hmm. because here in Miami and the surrounding areas, we have several different Bitcoin meetups that happen. Mine is the only one that happens every week. All the other ones happen like once a month or twice a month or sometimes even less occasionally. So the idea is that once every three months to get all of these events to coincide on the same like several days. Um, so on Fridays, we have the Miami Bitcoiners meetup. On Saturday, we have like the Broward Bitcoin meetup and um, probably a couple other groups that we can get to have events on that Saturday. But Bitcoin brunch happens on Sunday, like from 10 to 3. And then obviously after 3 p.m., if someone wanted to do like a, an evening Bitcoin event. And then on the first Monday of every month, we have the Miami Bit Devs. So the idea is like from Friday to Monday to have like this kind of mini Bitcoin conference. And uh, I think it would be kind of cool. It would be fun for people who are visiting from out of town. Like they could maybe come on a weekend that has the, the vortex going on. I like that. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. I remember when we had, um, we had two people visit from Brazil and they had their whole uh, thing planned out for the week that they would be here every event that they were going to. So this is just simplifying that process. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just simplifying it, but it's also making it about Bitcoin. So instead of it being like, you know, Bitcoin brunch being one of several crypto events that they're going to go to, I want Bitcoin brunch to be one of several Bitcoin events that they go to. That's really what I'm trying to do. Very nice. Yeah. So uh, that was one idea I had. Um, You know, right now 
in Atlanta, there's TAP conference. So some of the regulars uh, to Bitcoin brunch will not be there tomorrow because they're up in Atlanta, the Atlanta Bitcoin conference. This one's a more like technical focused conference is a lot more of like developers doing presentations and uh, presenting projects that they're working on proposals, tutorials or demonstrations, a lot of like lightning development stuff comes out of TAPCON. Yeah. Did you see me buy a beer for Formaru? No, I didn't. Ah, <laughs> uh, it was cool. So um, it was one of those little um, beer dispensers, like like a mini keg, and um, and you pay with a with a lightning invoice. Oh, she showed a QR code, and, and you she paid was for like, her? "Does does anyone want to buy me a beer?" I'm like, "Sure, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great." <laughs> though. Seconds, I think that's cool. it was pouring, and she posted a video, and everything it was hilarious. I think that's really cool, and I think that sort of thing is going to. I think it's going to become more popular. The idea of um, someone who's live streaming something, let's say like at an event and they've got people who are watching them from all over the world. You think of like the super chats on, um, you know, like YouTube. So if you were an influencer, if you were a popular person and you had your live stream going on and you were at an event, you could get your viewers to like buy you stuff live at an event. It's like, Oh, okay. You know, um, let me go to some of the concessions who wants to pay for my beer, who wants to pay for my snack, who wants to, Oh, there's a VIP section. I didn't buy a ticket. Who wants, you know, like, do you want, you guys want me to go to the VIP section? Okay. Well send me, you know, like a bunch of sats and I'll be able to go into the VIP section. Easier ways to whore yourself out. <laughs> um, well, that's what the technology should do. It should, it should make whoring as easy as possible. And it was really cool. I mean, like I, I enjoyed it a lot. Just me, someone in Miami paying for someone's beer in Atlanta within like five seconds. It was, uh, you know, right now <laughs> this one clip that I took would have been perfect. Um, but I don't have, I, I didn't, I didn't produce it to, to play it on the show. So it's just a beautiful notion. On, and on that note, uh-huh. you can easily send us that same value back to us through Boost if you're using a modern podcasting app. Ah, modern podcasting value for value. Speaking value of such, value. has anyone sent us any sats since the last show? Because I think we have to, to acknowledge them before we get too far. Uh, probably not, but like no one, not even at the end of the show that we didn't read. Pulling up. No, I did boost myself by mistake. I was listening to uh, <laughs> Bowls with Buds last night. Um, Sir Spencer and, and DeLorean had on uh, Farmer Todd. So it was interesting to to, to learn about uh, a farmer in Pennsylvania and a lot of the things going on there. And I, I wanted to go ahead and boost them. <laughs> and then, and I was like, oh, they didn't read on the show, but that's cool. No, no worries. I'm sure it'll be read later. And this morning I'm checking, uh, I'm checking my, my boost dashboard Saturn and I see my boost there. I'm like, what the hell? I ended up boosting myself and not them like an idiot. Well, how did you do that? Like what went wrong? Cause I had podverse.fm on and it was playing through the player but then I was also doing stuff on the on the feed, so I was checking our thing to see if, if, if it updated. Ah, uh, so, okay. Oh, yeah. you're not paying close enough attention. Either way, I ended up boosting them back. So, hmm. well, so I'm glad you caught that. Um, so, okay, so you see, we're we're uh, starving artists over here, and uh, obviously, we've been, gotten no love in the last week, which is just tragic and heartbreaking. I mean, I'm over here crying. And I didn't think it was possible, but yeah, you are crying. I don't know if I can go on. I, I, I don't. But you know what the truth is, is that there's more to value than money. And 
money is, is really fascinating as a technology because it, it provides a means in social economic circumstances for social social economic circumstances for humans to exchange values with each other. But there's definitely more more to value than money. And um, <clears throat> I think there's something that we can't even express in money. And I don't know why I wanted to bring this up, but I, I think as someone who talks a lot about Bitcoin, I find, I feel like people are obsessed with money and I'm not obsessed with money. I recognize the important role that money plays in our society. But like, for instance, when a mother cooks a meal for her family, what, whereas some Republicans want to say that that's her job. I would say that that's not her fucking job. She's cooking because she loves her family and it's got nothing to do with money. She's not thinking about being economically productive. Obviously, if her family doesn't eat, they're not going to be very productive at their jobs. But but she's not doing it for that reason. I mean, that is the role that eating plays, right, is to sustain ourselves, to give ourselves nutrition and sustenance. But but good food, right? Like like your, your loved ones making something specifically because they know you like it. Like there's so many different examples I could think of. And this is, I love food, right? So that's why I think of food that have nothing to do with value itself. And, and let's just keep that in mind as human beings, you know? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because um, my mother is going to Guatemala for about a week to do some stuff and she's leaving my elderly father behind, which is, which is rare, but he just didn't feel like going. So she's been rushing around trying to find this specific type of food just to make for him because he she knows that he loves it. And he was like, no, I have to find it. And we have driving everywhere just to find this damn thing so she could cook it. And it's not for him. It's really for her It's because it brings her value and, of course, him sustenance. But Yeah, because she wants to see, like, the smile on his face and she wants to, like, see him enjoying it and making those noises when you're eating the food that you like and mmm, mmm. You know, and that that'll make her feel good about herself, and then she won't feel as bad for abandoning him. <laughs> oh, he didn't want to fucking go, so whatever. Yeah, I mean, I get you. I'm just, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to be dr- air dramatic. travel is a pain in the ass. <laughs> so, um, this then I think brings us to the the next point that I have on my little list, and uh, so I don't. Did we talk about this last week? We probably did, but there's no reason not to talk about it again. It's the idea of the questionnaire for our guests. And it's oh, kind of yeah. funny because <laughs> apparently you had asked our guests several questions and then I totally like space cadetted out on the fact that that happened. And then I, just before the show, sent him another set of questions, which are probably like the same questions. And so when we did a test call just a few minutes before the show started, he's like, you know, do you, do you and, you know, you and Chip don't, don't coordinate, do you? Because, <laughs> because like, you know, he just sent me a questionnaire and then you would send, you know, so that's, that's funny, but we don't. There is an we, open line bit. of communication. There's just not always, it's not always a two way street. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I, uh, my attention is very hard to, it's, I mean, once you have it, it's, it's pretty good, but it's hard to have my, I don't know. I'm, I'm not ADHD or anything like that. As far as I know, I just, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just a tired old man. And I just, I just want to be left alone. So speaking of our guest, let's oh, yeah, go ahead and why. bring him on. <laughs> it, it, let's test our luck right now. We're going to go ahead and call our friend Jay, our buddy Jay. He's uh, somewhere out there in the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Jay White. 
Yo, what's up? Saturday Night Live lit. Can you hear me? <laughs> we can hear you. Can you hear us? Yes. Yes. Let's, let's do this. I'm excited. So I was listening a little bit to the show um, before you guys brought me on. And yeah, I'm excited. So Hell yeah. Well, here you are. So <clears throat> you don't have to be excited. Just be. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm super chill. So, so, um, so who is Jay White? Please tell us about Jay White. Oh, wow, I, thought doing, I thought you. I thought you were doing an intro. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh wait, wait. We can. Okay. So, so go ahead. I'm gonna make Chimp do it. You know, because if he's the 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 shit slinger, it's, it's that open line of communication. Uh, but you said it, it's not a, a two way street. Like we, I thought we just talked about this. <laughs> you see, and he was the funny thing is anyway. he's trying to impugn me. He's trying to make it seem like he, like I'm the one who doesn't pay attention. No, we both ignore each other. Jay White is a 33 year old Bitcoin enthusiast. Jay started with Bitcoin in 2018 and went down the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole. During 2021, he got interested in the Federal Reserve, monetary and fiscal policy, and market history when he realized people were making money while his Bitcoin and stocks were losing value. Cha-ching! They knew something that he didn't, and that was history. He says next time, he'll be ready. Are you ready now? I'm ready now. That, that was beautiful. I appreciate it. I was about to read it all my, myself. I was like, okay, this is going to sound weird, man. Me saying it. No, no. We uh, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do that to you. Chimp would do that to you. Because I was you, putting it in the third person, you know, because <laughs> I was expecting him to read it. And you, uh, I think, I think, no. I hope you got what you expected. Real quick, Eastside Tony saying, defend the network. Let's get lit, boys. All right. Yeah, let's go. Oh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look at the chat. I gotta bring the chat up. I don't see what Eastside Tony's saying. No, don't you know, distract yourself. Got a live chat going. Yeah, well, that was the first yeah. boost of the night. Well, so. you guys are doing it <laughs> anyway. <laughs> poorly, so, poorly. So I see that you you have some questions here on uh, on the document. Uh, well, so let's start off. What is Captain. this document? Because people, you know, people have so, no idea. Okay, so I put a little document together about the history of the first central bank of the United States and why it matters today. And so I'm looking, <clears throat> looking at the document now, and there's some questions on the side. And I wasn't sure whether I should ask, you know, answer the questions in the chat, or maybe we should just kind of touch on some things as I kind of go through the document. Yeah, and, we and should just about, go through the document. Uh, what we're doing. But before you go through the document, so, why don't you tell us a little bit, like, why did that even matter to you in the first place? Like, why did you decide this was an important question to, to research? Well, well like, like I was saying, you know, kind of in the, in the intro, so I started, I started paying attention, you know, because I'd never really known what inflation was before, you know, like they say the CPI has been, you know, super low for like, you know, the past however many years. And, you know, it hasn't really moved a lot, right? I mean, the the price of real estate and stuff like that has went up, but, you know, gas was like $2 and something whenever I, I went, you know, I was coming out and I first started driving and it went up a little bit, you know, after, uh, you know, it, it was certain times, but it come, kind of come back down. And I know there during 2020, it went back down to uh, like $2 and something again. And so, I mean, I hadn't really affected me that much, not, not in a, like a real tangible kind of way. Not, and since I've, you know, been out of school and been making money and stuff, it's, you know, I haven't really noticed a big, you know, a big difference in uh, change of the, the rapid pace. And that's, what's different from this inflation that we're seeing now versus the inflation of the seventies over the seventies. So basically to answer your question is when I, I started hearing the Fed talk and I started paying attention to that kind of stuff and I and I was I didn't understand why the why the stocks would all move in the same way and 
you know, then I started watching the Federal Reserve, watching them talk, and then there were things I didn't understand. So I'd go back, I'd read, you know, and I'd go back and, um, you know, okay, well, what did they, and, and then coming to Bitcoin brunch, I would look and I started looking at, at the history. What, what what happened in the 70s whenever we had inflation? You know, what, what kind of stocks did well? Uh, what did the market do? And that kind of stuff. So whenever I, I saw that, um, I saw that the inflation of the seventies, it was like a slow insidious, you know, it was, it was going and it stayed for years, you know? And so it was over a decade that they were dealing with that because they never really tackled it. Like they, they raised the interest rates up and then they, they cut the interest rates up too quickly, basically. And so they never got a hold of it and, and it built into people's minds, you know, that inflation was you know going to keep going. So they would always spend their money really quickly. And that's what they're trying to to stop now. That's why they're being, you know, really tough on, you know, raising the interest rates, you know, they went up from 0.25 and their terminal rate now is going to be around four and a half percent. We're we're almost at 4% now. And that's like, I, I don't know exactly what it is. It's like 3.75, almost, almost 4%. They're about to raise it again. And so that that's, you know, multiples over whenever they raised it in the seventies or 79, they raised it from like say 10% to 20%. So that's a double. They've, they've been, you know, way more than that now, you know, and especially with the housing prices, you know, 6% interest on $500,000 house is a lot more money than what it used to be, you know, in the eighties, whenever it was a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar house or, you know, $80,000 house or whatever. Yeah. I used to work with a anyway. cat. I used to work with a guy who he would tell me, you know, um, in the sixties and seventies, he went to law school, paid for it. And, you know, and had a job and bought a house and everything like all in the same day. Like it was so much easier for him at least because <laughs> it was all possible. Like, like stuff yeah. was cheap, you know, and, 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 and he was making money. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and your, your money bought you more, you know, exactly. like, I, and so that's, that's one thing. Like I'd heard about that. I'd heard about, you know, oh, you could buy this for a nickel back in whatever, but I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand. And I'd heard the word inflation and I knew that you need to like invest your money so you can meet or beat inflation. But I, I didn't realize, I mean, it, it, this time it just kind of came all, all at once kind of quick, like, you know, where, where it affected everything. Now they can't hide it. Right. Cause they've been pouring money into the market since 2008, you know, with the, you know, the 2008, the crisis that happened, right. With the great financial crisis. So, They've been putting all this money in and they're like, oh, look, you know, it's kind of like in Japan, like, you know, we're 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 buying all these debtor instruments and we're doing all this stuff with the, the quantitative easing. And it's not really spilling out into the main economy. Right. But like the people that have the money and the people that are. You know, they're still buying assets, they're still doing stuff. So but it's it's not affecting, you know, the, the price prices of things in the grocery store. It's not affecting those basket of goods that they use to measure the CPI and. Anyway, so once I, I kind of got into that, I started looking back at history, you know, looking at market history, seeing how things traded. And then I started like, well, where did the you know, Federal Reserve come from? Because you would hear things like, oh, they're not even a part of the government. It's not actually, you know, it's like an independent body or whatever, but it's super political, you know, like back in back uh, President Johnson. So President Johnson, he, you know, there was a thing called the Great Society. And they pumped a lot of money into, you know, government, uh, government welfare programs and social programs. And that wasn't you know really making a lot of money. And that put a lot of money into the system that on top of the uh, the Vietnam War, right, that caused the deflation that that come into the 70s, you know, because that was all happening, you know, during the during the 60s and in the, in the late 60s. 
and then that poured into you know that poured into uh, in, into what happened for the seventies, and then when Paul Vol- Volcker come in and he was like, okay, we're we're gonna stop it now because they had tried to raise them before, but they lowered the rates too quickly, and inflation just kept going up. And so whenever he, he, you know, he, he put a stop to it. Like people hated him, you know, people had, had death threats on him because he, I mean, he stopped a lot of things, you know, and, you know, people couldn't afford like houses. They, they couldn't afford cars anymore because the interest rates were, were, were so high, but it finally got people to hold on to their money and it stopped spending. And like the bank started doing, uh, started like being more critical about how, who, you know, who they lended money to. And that kind of slowed down, you know, what's called the velocity of money. And it finally slowed down and got a handle on inflation. And that's kind of what they're getting to now with, you know, what, what they're, what it's what they're trying to get to now, you know, they're trying to get people to stop spending money. But whenever you look at the reports that come out, you know, every week, every month, you know, people are still spending money and people are still out there buying things. You know, people are just now starting to kind of slow down. It's just looking on. I, I can't remember. I mean, I, I don't know all the reports, but I, I follow this stuff and, you know, it's just now starting to, kind of slow people down. Like I've been paying attention to it and what they call it is, um, it's a term called demand destruction. So demand destruction is of course, you know, like, okay, gas was uh, $6 a gallon, you know, at certain places, people stopped taking the boats out finally, you know, people, cause you know, you know, down here in Florida, we see the people with the boats all the time, you know, and some people they were going every day anyway, like right every weekend, whatever they're driving, they're driving the jacked up trucks. But whenever the gas has started hitting the peaks, I'd seen that the roads were, were less full of people with the RVs, you know, the, you know, people that have their big boats, they finally, you know, kind of, like, okay, it's, it's hitting them a little bit. So they finally stop. Whenever the gas come back down, they go do that again. And it's the same thing with, with everything else in, in the economy. And so what they call it is like tightening financial conditions. So that's, that's what they're, they're aiming for. Whenever you hear, um, you know, you hear the fed talking about, you know, we want to tighten financial conditions, you know, they're, they're, they're not happy with where they, what the unemployment rate is, they want the unemployment rate to be a little higher. Uh, they they think the natural unemployment rate should be somewhere around like five percent. So, and that's that's just you know that's you know <laughs> they, these guys have you know PhDs and they they, they uh-huh. just stand around and they think Ain't about this stuff nice. all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people, <laughs> even even people without PhDs, think about that stuff all the time. I guess it's just that when you get the PhD, you also get like this. Sh- nice fancy job that gets you invited to cool dinners where you know like the new york times and the washington post are going to send journalists to talk to you but you said a lot of stuff in the last few minutes and i i kind of wanted to touch on like the things that kind of stuck out to me the most and we haven't even got to the paper that you wrote or that you're working on yet but that's okay we've got plenty of time um i mean so when you say you know when we're talking about for instance cars let's say you wanted to buy a car and so you're going to take a loan out most of the time because most people don't have all the money to buy the car. So that, so their ability to buy the car, therefore, depends on how the loan is going to affect their monthly cash flow. That's, that's, that's the bottom line for, let's say, you know, the vast majority of people who buy cars. You said something like right. um, if, if the interest rate goes too high, then people can't afford you know, the, the, to buy the things anymore. They can't afford to buy houses. They can't afford to buy cars. And, and, and in my gut, all I'm feeling was, well, can they really afford them at all then? You know, like, w- 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 isn't that part of the issue with central banks is that they are influencing circumstances that are inducing behaviors that in 
like a more free market competition oriented circumstances might be discouraged by the fact that no, you can't actually afford these things and you need to just save more. Well, yeah, but then that would be, it would lead to a slower economy. Right. And the whole ideal, the whole deal with what the central bank's trying to do is they're trying to, you know, keep prices at a stable kind of level, right? They want to have some inflation, right? That's, that's built into the system. They want to have some, but they want to have keep prices stable. They want to have unemployment low. And, and so if, if it's, you know, follows the things that you're talking about, you have these boom and bust cycles, they think they can maneuver it in a certain way to where we don't have to have a boom and a bust. Well, you know, but that's, but, but they are exactly go, the go cause of that. Paper, yeah, I mean, exactly. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of the, the issue, right? Is, but you know, whenever I said the the thing about the the, the PhDs, like it's kind of you know insidious. Like it's like you think there has to be people that wash clothes, that you know work in you know build roads. Like if if we had if we had money where people could just save the money from you know doing whatever it is you know whatever work they do, and they could just save that, and then over time it appreciates. You know, then that like our system wouldn't work. We need people to do certain jobs, right? Like everybody's not going to, you know, college isn't for everybody. And then, and, and like when, back in the fifties, whenever you could, you know, you could buy a house, you could put your kids through school, you could put them in college and you can do this all off of one, uh, one earner, you know, that they, they weren't happy with the growth. I mean, it was some of the, like, you know, some of the best growing times, but it wasn't enough. Like, we're like we, we need, we need more. And so like, how can we do this? How can we stimulate more? So then that's whenever you start getting into the Keynesian economics and, you know, getting away from, um, you know, where you, you guys heard of him, like the, the Keynes, Keynesian yeah. economics. Of course. And, yeah. He's a so, Nobel okay. laureate. Keynes, yeah. He heavily influenced like John Maynard Keynes. Yeah. There's, there was one other thing yeah. that I wanted to, to comment on before we got to like what your actual paper is about. And it was about the unemployment rate. Um, well, first mm. let me say about the, like, so the federal reserve has two, two um, issues on the mandate. One of them is to like maintain the 2% interest rate. And the other one is to maintain like, uh, I don't remember if it's a specific number, but it has to do with like employment. And so I wanted to say in regards to employment that what I've seen at least in the last few years is that they have been able to use the um, economic participation rate as a way to manipulate the unemployment rate. So so many people have left the marketplace for labor that they are no longer considered in counting the unemployment rate. So, so the, even if we somehow brought unemployment to 5%, like the real unemployment would be significantly higher. And so even, so if we believed what these, you know, economists and PhD people say that we needed a 5% unemployment rate, well, do they mean a real 5% unemployment rate or do they mean like a fake pie in the sky, magical accounting, 5% unemployment rate. That doesn't actually mean anything, which is what we have, you know, with whatever numbers we've got for unemployment today. Well, I think, you know, the answer to that, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's that in the, in the, in the interest rates is, uh, it's, it's the inflation rate is what you're talking about. Like they, they want to have a 2% inflation rate. That's what, that's their target. Um, yeah. rate of inflation but, that, 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 they, that they aim for. But it's the same but thing, yes, right? Like they, the, they just get to define what those well, things mean. They, they, they use the interest rates to manipulate the, the movement of money. And that's how they, that's, you know, that's one of the things that they do along with like uh, adding to and taking off things of their balance sheet. That's how they, they control the inflation rate. That's like their tools, right? Uh, uh, 
among them is the signaling, like what they say, because you got people that it's called Fed speak that really study the Fed and <laughs> they listen good. to every little word. And the 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 commentators, they like, oh, or do they do this or do they do that? And, you know, whenever I start looking into this stuff, it's like the people that really know and that really you know follow these people. They say, don't don't listen to what the talking heads say. Don't listen to them. Sum it up for you. Listen to what, you know, the like the Fed chairman, listen to what Jerome Powell says. Watch him and his speak. When, you know, see what he says because they're being their 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 language is you know very careful because they know it's going to be played over and over and over again. People are going to pour over and they're going to make investing decisions, right? And so whenever they first started talking about we're going we're going to you know uh, raise rates at whatever percent, you know we're going to we're going to first before they were talking about raising the rates, they would say, we're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates, <laughs> right? It means that we're not going to do it at this meeting. You know, maybe we'll look at it and we'll do it at next meeting whenever more numbers come out. That just, that, that kind of gave people the heads up. Now, looking back, I really know this. That gave kind of people the heads up. You can keep trading your meme stocks. You can keep trading your stock, you know, the, the, the companies that aren't making money. You can keep doing these things for a little bit longer, but you need to start unwinding these positions and you need to start putting money into things that make actual money and have actual cash flows. And and that's that was back in, in November, right? And, and or or a little, little bit before November of 2021, before they started doing that. So that whenever it's thinking about thinking about, I mean, don't quote me, but it's probably like somewhere in like August or something like that. Um, and then, and then so like the the people that's moving the big money, they started moving things around, and that's whenever you see start seeing the oil stocks and 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 the, you know, places that actually make things and have real cash flows. Then they're not looking to get their profits in the future. That's whenever those companies started getting bought up, you know, and stuff like that. So like they were they were sending the signals to the people that know what to listen to to go ahead and start moving your money around. And then like the mortgage rates started to creep up, you know, in, in like November, they, they started creeping up from, you know, two something percent up to 3%. And the Fed hasn't even raised interest rates yet. So whenever they did raise interest rates up, you know, that the, by the time they raise it, you know, it was 0.25 or, or 50 basis points, whatever it was for the first one, you know, the, the interest rates and, and mortgages and stuff and car loans and everything else, they, that started to go up because the interest rate that the, that the Fed, it's it's what they loan to the banks, or like you know, because I don't know how deep you want to go into that, but like no, we basically, don't have to, there's, that's a, there's a, a bank, that's another there's, rabbit yeah, hole. exactly. That's that's it's 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 all yeah, it's all it's all it's all deep. But basically, you know, there's like a it's called a federal funds rate, and that's what they control, and then that controls that's what everything else is based off of, and everything else is going to be higher than the federal funds rate because everybody else has to make their cut, basically. Yeah. And that's if it's true, which is another problem. It's like, is it even true? Because they don't, they, they can do so many things in secret. And that's a whole, again, that's the rabbit hole. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, wow. It, it, it's, so, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And so, that's, that's kind of what I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get into with this. Yeah. So is, Jay, you're, you're writing this. Uh, I don't know. What, what, is, what are you trying to write? Like, what is the ultimate format of this paper? So on the, first the reason Central I started Bank? looking into this, the reason I started looking into this is because I, I wanted to have a podcast where I kind of talk about you know, stuff about, you know, health or wealth and wellness, you know, stuff about, you know, financial stuff, stuff, you know, and I'm into fitness as well. So I, I like to kind of cover both. I like to talk about both things. And so I, I was like, okay, well, I know, you know, my fitness stuff, I've, you know, I've been doing that for a while. I can, I can talk about that, but like, let me learn more. Cause when I see people talk about all these financial podcasts, like just have all this wealth of information and knowledge. And I'm like, okay, I need to do more reading. I need to learn more. So whenever I started 
going back and looking at this stuff, I was like, wow, like this goes deep in it. It's uh, so I started putting it together and then I said I was going to come on here. And so I just kind of truncated that and got this small little paper that I've got kind of that I'm going to run through today. And so that's that's kind of what led me to this. And, you know, there's there's always more to learn. I mean, we have the Internet now. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, you can go down all kinds of different rabbit holes. But um, I'm going to try to keep it just to this central bank stuff. <clears throat> For the yeah. podcast. Yeah. So Jay, um, you know, don't, don't, we're not going to have time to go over the whole paper and all the, the different fine points about it, but. Oh, I know. I know. I, I've got a bunch here and we've already spent a lot of time on other stuff, but, uh, I've, I can, I, I'm kind of, kind of run through it real quick. Um, uh, just yeah. kind of touch the high notes of it. Go for it. So, uh, after the revolutionary war, I went from 1775 to 1783, the continental Congress had, printed a bunch of paper money and basically that you know that called rampant caused rampant inflation and the first treasury secretary was Ale- alexander hamilton i don't know if you guys seen the play hamilton or whatever but Heard anyway he 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 was really big on you know wanting to create a national bank and he, he had studied the the banks in england and the bank of Am- amsterdam the bank of amsterdam was actually the first central bank so right now the bitcoin conference is going on and, you know, they, they're kind of talking about the Bank of Amsterdam over there. But anyway, so there was, you know, there's other people, you know, like Thomas Jefferson. He didn't want to he didn't want to have a, a central bank. He thought it would give too much power to like the people that, you know, have a lot of money, the financiers, the, the people that, that could loan the money. And but basically it came down to um, it came down to uh, George Washington and, you know, because it went to a vote. And he was still kind of undecided. And Alexander Hamilton went and put down all this paper, whatever, and he, he studied it, he presented it to him, and he was like, "Okay, let's do it." And so then they, they did the bank. Let me ask you a quick question. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, there's, there's so <laughs> much interesting stuff in this in this topic. When the Continental Congress was printing that paper, like you said, they were making paper money, and it was causing inflation. <clears throat> I mean, do you, do you know, like, how did they enforce that? How did they get people, like, who were they giving that paper money to? Well, the soldiers, right? So the, most of the people, you know, like, it was an all-volunteer force, right? And so, like, they were paying that. They were paying, you know, the, they were paying they were paying for supplies. They were paying for things that the Army needed. You know, it's just like the military-industrial complex now. Like, it, it, it funds a lot of jobs. It funds a lot of stuff. But and the in the in terms they, of the military industrial complex, like the dollar is already established at least in modern times. So like at this time, I mean, what kind of currency were they using if it was a government that they had just established in revolution? So they they different places had different banknotes. So like you would use a banknote and you could use it basically only at that bank, and like you would you know and, and like they would lock up money right. They they would hold the money, but you don't want to carry around gold all the time. You can't just buy, you know, a bag of grain with with your, your piece of gold or whatever. So you want to just carry around these banknotes uh, and to use that just like your pocket money or whatever. So did well, the Continental Congress what, have some kind of like, did they pass a law or something that would force the banks to accept their notes in a certain value? I don't know about that part. 
I would, right. have, to, I would yeah. have to look into that, so, that in particular. All right. Well, but part of what the, they did with the first central bank is they they made it legal tender to where you could use those banknotes everywhere. All right. So you were saying that George Washington had just got convinced by Alexander Hamilton. My guess is that um, yes, this this new federal bank bought all the debt from those smaller state banks. So okay, so we'll um, well, so we'll issue these notes. That was that was and, part of the pitch, right? Yeah. So after after the war, uh, there were, the national debt was five million dollars, and the different states had a total of twenty five million dollars. And so the um, the Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton he wanted to say, hey, we'll, we're going to we're absorb this from the states so that there's less less um, competition for the tax revenue that's coming in. Because they needed like a strong national presence to get things done, to you know, to to improve commerce, to make loans to people, to get the company, uh, the country moving again. Because you know, a lot of people were in financial ruin, and you know, there were a lot of people that was you know that broke, you know, that they didn't have any any means. And so like, this was supposed to stimulate the economy. <clears throat> so. Just a little bit about the the funding. So it was like the largest America's largest first and largest IPO, and so it was you know recognized as a corporation, and you know you know it's just a given personhood and all that kind of stuff. So the first two million dollars was owned by the government, and then eight million dollars was owned by foreign investors. The, the foreign investors couldn't vote, but you know and a lot of people didn't like that. But you know that you know they didn't. The people in America didn't have a lot of money. The people that you know had a lot of money, you know. The, they didn't have a lot to give, not all at once like that. But anyway, so in July of 1791, it was founded by subscriptions or scripts. So they would pay $25 in gold or silver, and then they had to pay. They had buy $400 worth of uh, worth of bank stock, and so one dollar would be in gold or silver to every three dollars bought of the government bond. And so those those government bonds, if you hold those government bonds, it paid like six percent interest. And the people that um, the people that bought the, the, the original shareholders of the bank, they got paid a dividend every six months of like nine dollars a share. Anyway, this kind of getting into the weeds, but they they used that money and they used that money. And that's how they, you know, they got their initial capitalization that they got the, the bank going. And so there was there was people that one actually one who was a land speculator and it was one of uh, Alexander Hamilton's friends. He was the first kind of person or you know entity deemed to be too big to fail because him and a couple other people they got together and they was like oh they gotta they've got to have they've got to buy these bonds you know everybody's buying these bonds so they went together and they bought a bunch of these bonds thinking that the process is going to keep going up well the, wait, wait um, so but you, you know, got to back up a wanted, second um so in terms okay. of them buying the bonds so but why because why were they buying the bonds? Now, were the bonds the same thing as the scripts? Is that what you're saying, or you're you're talking about like no, so the, scripts, the treasury? The, the scripts, the scripts were a down payment because they, they they it wasn't it wasn't available for immediate delivery. So the twenty five dollars the script was just a down payment, so that you could be in line to buy the bank stock because there were only a limited amount of bank stock available. So I think it was limited to pre order now. <laughs> yeah, so it was limited to twenty five thousand shares, and they were going at four hundred dollars each. And nobody, nobody, or no like group or one person could own more than a thousand shares. And so, 
you know, there were there were some lawyers, there were some, you know, some medical doctors. I mean, there was there were certain people, you know, in the in the U.S. and and otherwise that that would go in and they would buy this. Uh, they were buy these shares. So to and, buy you know, the buy shares, okay, if I'm understanding correctly, so if you wanted to buy the share, though, so like you said, you would pay a down payment in gold or silver, but then the rest of the payment for the stock would have to be paid for in bonds. Yes, because they 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 were trying to fund the government. So and that's that's what they were setting up the bank to do is to 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 raise money from the government to help get foreign investment to 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 control monetary policy, which. You know, I, I kind of get into that later that they 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 got monetary, you know, they they controlled the money flow and, and had a like their, a rudimentary monetary policy because and this is this I'm kind of skipping a few things here. But basically, they weren't allowed. The bank wasn't allowed to buy the U.S. government bonds because they didn't want to have they didn't want to have any kind of resemblance of impropriety. Right. Like they didn't want it to seem like it was not a good thing to do or they knew back then that it wasn't a good thing to do. And so they weren't allowed to do that. And so it's just kind of funny to see what we have now whenever the, the you know, the, to see what, what they do now. Right. Well, so, Jay, I, anyway. just, I really want to clarify this one point because um, I think okay. it's important. And if, okay, if, and if I'm understanding it correctly, then it has a lot of implications. So you're saying that the Bank of the United States was not allowed to buy United States Treasury debt. However, they were well, they weren't allowed to buy it from the Treasury but they were allowed to buy it from members of the public who would use them in exchange for the bank stock. Cause if you're, you know, when you're selling something, no, no, they, they weren't buying, they, the, the bank wasn't buying the, the treasury from people. The people were buying the bonds like, like in, instead of, so, like they, they would pay the you know they pay the first quarter in in the gold or silver and then the other three quarters they were buying government bonds. Yeah, but they were buying them from whom? They were buying it from the Bank of the United States or they were buying it from the Treasury? Well, the the, the bank the the bank was using was doing this for the Treasury so the Treasury could raise money. Oh, okay. So now I'm starting to understand a little better, I guess, because I I I was yeah. under the impression because of the way that the the way that I understood the constitution that the treasury sold bonds and not like the federal reserve bank. But you're saying that in this circumstance, it was the, the bank of the United States was selling bonds on behalf of the treasury. Yes. So that's, that's part of the law. So they had a law, the bank law of like 1791, the bank bill of 1791. And that's, that's what gave the, this bank the authority to do that. And it gave it exclusive authority and and it wasn't you know the the U.S. said that they weren't going to have any other kind of bank that was doing the same thing. And they they weren't going to have and this was going to be the only legal tender so that whenever this bank made banknotes, you know, and, and like a, and I hadn't said it yet, but they have they had branches they they spread out and they had branches in all the port cities. So those port cities, you know, people, when people were coming in, they could change their money there. They could they could buy things there. They could make loans to people to fund other voyages, other p places. You know, they could they could do all the stuff that, you know, a bank is, is normally going to do. But instead of it being off by itself, making its own little bank notes, it had the backing of the federal government and it had a legal tender law. So, like, you could take those bank notes from Virginia. You could go up to Connecticut, you know, to New Orleans, wherever you went, and you could use that same bank note. And that helped to 
facilitate trade and commerce in the country. Okay. So, you know, we, we obviously needed that. So clarify for me this one point then. So Mm -hmm. you said that they, I think you said it was like 20 something thousand bank stocks that they could sell. And then the bank stocks, 25,000. Yeah. And then, but what's the difference then between a stock and a bond in this circumstance? So, well, and it's just like anything else. So when you buy stock, so whenever you buy a bond, you are, you, you're the first to get paid out basically. Like if something happens to something, um, and, and so whenever you, you, you own a bond, that's, you're, you're owning, you're owning that, the debt of, of that thing. But so bond, so that's bond stock, as in bondage. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, like if you're the first one to get, <laughs> if you're the first one to get paid, then I mean that you're, you're putting the debtor in bondage, like you're, they're bonded to you and, and they cannot serve anyone else before they serve you. And it is kind of what you seem to be saying. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. Like it's, it's, it's like a, it's, it's a financial term. So with the, let's see, I'll get you the exact uh, term for a bond. Yeah. So bonds provide uh, steady streams of income from interest payments prior to maturity. So that's, let's see here. All right. Well, J- you know, don't, anyway. don't, don't worry too much about it right now. Um, but this is uh, something that I'm, I'm definitely going to want to clarify a little bit more in the future. Um, Jay, I, I hate to, to cut this short. We're going to have to continue on another occasion. And, um, you know, don't worry about it. This is, a, this is a really interesting topic. So I definitely want to keep talking about it because I think it's it's important to understand the present by like looking at the examples of the past. Yeah. Yeah. So but basically a shareholder, they they're they're owning part of the part of the, the business, basically. But if if the, the business or whatever fails, right, if they go bankrupt they're the last to get paid out. They're not going to get the bailed out, but the, but like if they liquidate all the assets of something, the bondholders get paid first. Let's just say, you know, that they, because they, they raised like two and a half million dollars worth of gold. And then they had, you know, a bunch of the, the, the treasury bonds, you know, it, like to say this bank failed, the, the bondholders would get paid first. And then the, sh- the shareholders would get paid last if there was anything left. So that's why like bonds earn like two or three percent. But if you buy stock in a company, you can you can earn 50 percent or 10x or whatever. But you're taking more risk. Yeah. And it's also it, it raises all kinds of question about like, what does ownership mean? What does control mean? And because like in physical goods, right, like let's say my laptop in front of me, like I both own and control this laptop. But a corporation, it seems, is is sort of owned by in some sense by bondholders but it's controlled in some sense by stockholders especially if that's you know if like what you're saying in the in the case of a liquidation it's the bondholders who are going to get paid out first and the stockholders will only get something if there's something left over after the bondholders get what's theirs um, and then of course you you imagine even further down the line like probably under the stockholders you're going to have like unsecured debtors 
um, people who have unsecured debt. So right. like a bond obviously is the most secured debt, I suppose, that one could have. Right. Um, they get paid first. Yeah. Yeah. So Jay, just to, to close out this session again, we'll have you on again in the near future. We'll continue this discussion. Is there anything else you want to say? Any projects or things that you want to shout out? Anyone you want to say hello to while we've still got you on the line? I think people should save in Bitcoin and learn more about it. You know, learn more about their own personal finance. Try to try to spend less than what they make. Try to save for their future. You can save in you know dollars if you want to, but you you have to invest in other things, other assets. You know, get some real estate. You know, you can't eat Bitcoin. You can't live in Bitcoin. So don't just think in terms of Bitcoin. You could buy a house with Bitcoin if everything goes right the way we plan. But you know, you got to have a way to live and you know. Real estate's been a been a good investment. I'm there with you. History, so. Yeah, so Jay, again, thank yeah. you so much for coming on. We'll try to get you on, uh, you know, in a few weeks, maybe next month, um, uh, like, you know, in about a month from now, uh, to continue this discussion. And hopefully by then we'll also be able to clarify a little bit more about this difference between like bonds and stocks for, because I'm assuming most of the people who listen to this aren't going to have any idea about that kind of thing. So again, thanks so much for coming on to Saturday Night Lit. <laughs> No, it was fun. All right. Y'all have a good one. Peace. That was actually the boost sound out of the Saturn, out of the um, the Boostagram dashboard by by the Alvi Debs. I guess they went ahead and added that. It wasn't a new boost. I just I went ahead and reloaded it and then made that sound. Hold on, hold on. Ah, uh, they didn't do it that time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that was really cool though. Yeah. I was like, I was wondering, did you put that into the song? I'm like, you don't usually do that kind of thing in the song. Yeah. So now I've got a quick message uh, from our current sponsor. Well, of course we didn't hear it because I had the volume down. <laughs> oh, no, anyway. no, I heard it. I heard it fine. No, the second time when I did it. Oh, okay. That's why it was. Okay. <laughs> All right. So do you or someone you know suffer from long-term unexpected side effects of off-label horse Viagra use as implied by Andrew Heaton on his podcast, Political Orphanage? At the unlaw firm offices of Captain and Chimp, we have many clients who, after listening to Mr. Heaton's October 5th episode, heard the ad for Horse Viagra and assumed he put it on his show because it would be a good idea for his audience to take Horse Viagra themselves. What podcaster in their right mind would tell their audience that the rock-hard erections of young bucks, knowing full well that only a small minority in the audience can even afford a horse? But with a Patreon, anyone with a Patreon can account can afford to go to CVS and buy over-the-counter horse Viagra. We cannot let this stand. Contact us immediately if you or your loved one now have long-term erectile ineptitude as an immediate result of listening to Andrew Heaton's Political Orphanage podcast. Go to SaturdayNightLit.com slash Horse Viagra to find out more. I have literally no idea what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's who's paying our bills this week, so no complaining, okay? All right. Send your boost, people. Send your boost. Thanks once again to Jay <laughs> for joining us on the show. 
We have to. We hope to have you back soon again, and we have many guests lined up this month. But um, what else we got? So um, there was an interesting thing that I saw on Stacker.News this week, and it was a musician named Joe Martin promoting a song. I don't. I, I should have written down the name of the song, but the post was calling all plebs. And the reason I bring this up is because there's a very active user on there called Darth Coin. And he, uh, he came in with um, some, quote, some good ways to monetize your work with Bitcoin slash Lightning Network, end quote. And he linked to something called Darts Bitcoin Guides. And I wanted to mention that because it's a really interesting website. I, I don't, I'll, I'm going to put, obviously, the, the website will be in the links. And then one of the links in his Bitcoin Guides was a website called stacksats.how. And if you go to stacksats.how, it is basically a compendium of different ways that you can stack sats. And it includes, but is not limited to, different games that you can play to earn sats, um, job listing websites and services that uh, you can earn sats on, um, liquidity pool services that you can do for sats, like for join market, for instance, um, various merchants. So BTC Pay Server, Open Node, Breeze, um, rewards programs, social networks that are running on Sats, and task uh, services that are running on Sats. So those are the different categories they've got. That's going the on same now. as BitcoinOnly.com. Is it? Yeah, but it's pretty cool. I love the way it looks. I love. But um, have you ever been to Bitcoin-Only.com? It's basically the same thing. I was actually going to mention that website too. I, I had nice. forgotten to. So it's they probably are from the same project. It wouldn't surprise me. I like. I like stack sats. I like the way that looks way better. It's yeah. a lot easier on the eyes and it just pops out at you. So cool. Yeah. So check that out. That's an interesting thing. I'm really interested in different, um, you know, different things that are helping Bitcoiners to like integrate Bitcoin into their lives, to be able to use it, to earn it, to spend it, to exchange it with other people. So, you know, uh, and then, you know, check out this musician, Joe Martin. He's got some song that he's taking value for value and maybe we can, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I will try to listen to it. I think I, I, don't, I don't remember if I did or not. It's been a busy week. <laughs> All right. So we talk a lot about Bitcoin, but we're not a Bitcoin podcast. So yeah, we, are, we are a Bitcoin only podcast, but we're not a Bitcoin podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Just to be clear, um, that means that we'll only accept Bitcoin, um, obviously, with the sats boosting, everything like that. But even if you love this so much, you want to say, hey, I want to give you guys money right now. We wouldn't accept it. We say it has to be in the form of Satoshis. So, but that means we're not only going to talk about Bitcoin, even though it is pretty much a part of our lives, a, a part of the ethos. We kind of just enjoy, I guess, everything about Bitcoin or, or the world of it. Yeah, the, not so much like a church. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you have to come to Bitcoin brunch if you want church. Yeah, that the, the cult is at Bitcoin brunch if you want to go <laughs> go there. But I wanted to talk a little bit about something else, not Bitcoin related. Um, did you hear about the stampede in Indonesia a few, a few weeks back? No. October 1st, to be exact. It was a soccer game in Malang. It was between these two rival clubs. Wait, a soccer game where? In Malang. It's, a, it's um, in East Java. Okay. Indonesia. So it was between these two rival clubs, Arema and Persabaya Surabaya. And they have this huge rivalry. They've been rivals for a long time. Uh, pretty large stadium too, uh, um, where it happened. It holds about 43,000 people and it's actually Arema's home field. Arema has had a 23-year winning streak against Persebaya Surabaya there. 
kicking their ass. Oh and, man. So yeah. you're talking about like they're playing in their home stadium and they've won for 23 years. Did they lose this time? They lost three to oh, two on October God. 1st. So what happened? And I mean, you know, like football, not football, sorry. Well, yeah, soccer, football, um, rights are not uncommon in Indonesia, like, you know, in general. Uh, so there was already riot police there and everything. But yeah, so it was a sold out event. And there was, out of those 43,000 people, not everyone was there to riot. There was a lot of families, a lot of, a lot of kids. People who like football. People who like football, exactly. So, you know, it, it, it was, they were sad, but uh, people started to leave. Most people were just trying to leave the, um, the actual event. So, like I was saying, uh, the police already expected this kind of stuff to happen because there's often violence between uh, uh, the two supporters of the teams. And that's why there was already riot police there. In fact, uh, the cops were trying to limit the number of spectators down to 38,000 rather than the, you know, the, the, the 43,000 the stadium could hold. But the match organizers were like, no, 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 we want to make our money, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but at least they were able not uh, to have any person by a supporters, you know, the opposing team buy tickets. So oh, okay. supposedly- so they only had a ROM? Oh. Arema. Arema, okay. Yeah, so supposedly that's what happened. Anyway, so the, the, uh, the game's over. And according to reports from people who were there, uh, four spectators got onto the field to take photos with the, t- with the team. Well, obviously, you're not, that's something you're not supposed to do. You, um, the fans are not supposed to get onto the field. So one witness says they saw the supporters being chased and beaten by the police. And he, it, these are cops with riot gear, with clubs, uh-huh. right? And that event is what triggered 3,000 estimated, 3,000 oh more gosh, people to run onto the rush field. onto the field, attacking and harassing officials, throwing bottles, objects, even setting fires to the cars and everything. It was nuts. So a nice little riot going on on the field, but people are still leaving. Wait, but like, what do you mean by cars though? Because like there were cars on the field. There was riot cars. Yeah, um, they oh, had armored. The police were on the field. Yeah, um, there was like riot police is you know, the cops with their armored vehicles, and the riot police is often at these events. And like surrounding the field, I guess. I guess on the side, yeah. And usually when uh, people get out of hand, what they'll do is they'll throw them in the armored vehicle and like make them sit there for an hour, like you know, kind of like mm-hmm. solitary confinement in a way. Well, it got bad. They ended up shooting out tear gas, tear gas into the field, tear gas into the stands. And that's when all hell broke loose. So mind you, most people just wanted to leave the stadium. Like I said, there was children and families there. Go ahead. No, I mean, it's like the game's over and they just want to go home. Right, exactly. So for for some reason, most of the gates were locked. Oh my God. (laughs) People were only exiting through one of the gates. And tear gas was not, like I said, not only being shot into the field, but into the stands as well. So, of course, people were freaking out. And they're all running to the same rushing exit. Rushing to the exit. Exactly. So, imagine a five-gallon bottle full of water. You know, those big uh, five-gallon bottles. Yeah. With a straw, with a regular straw attached to the top. Just <laughs> on there. <laughs> Flip that water bottle over, five gallons, and the water's going to slowly, slowly pour out of the straw. Limited by the size of the exit, water has no choice but to wait, despite what gravity is telling it to do. Uh-huh. And hopefully it's a particularly strong straw because the pressure generated by those five gallons could easily break the walls of the straw. I mean, uh, a gallon of water at room temperature is about 8.33 pounds, <laughs> so five Nerd. gallons is about 42 pounds. Uh-huh. So imagine thousands of people leaving through an exit. 
people toward the back of the group see the tear gas being fired. Start so they're pushing everyone in front of them. Rushing forward, trying to leave. And people from the stands also start trying to leave. Those in the front may not even be aware of the chaos, but they can only move so quickly. And people slowly become more and more densely packed, pushing to each other, being pushed not only from the back, but really all directions. Because, you know, people with less body mass and just body strength in general, they're more likely to be pushed around. Now, but most people are pushing forward, but you're trying to get breathing space, so you're extending your arms. So it's just things are getting compressed, you know. And, you know, so you're more likely to get pushed or even just fall to the floor. And once you fall, it's over. You know? Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like, why are you dragging this out so much? Like, how many people died? Uh, <laughs> 131 people, and uh, but, like, maybe about 600 or so were injured. One, this happened on October 1st, and one was pronounced dead in the hospital about four days ago. So people were still dying even after the event. It was just the injuries were so bad. A lot of so people bad. suffering from traumatic physical injuries, right? Right, exactly. Being stepped on by a bunch of people, kicked around. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but really most of the deaths come from your chest being compressed to the point where you can't breathe oh anymore. Oh, my gosh. And it's not like even... suffocating. <laughs> like, oh, God, why did you bring this up? <laughs> this <laughs> is the worst topic ever. So and depressing. it's not even the people who fall and get crushed, but also even just standing up or being pushed up against a wall. It's called compressive asphyxia, where the pressure the being applied to your chest it. cavity is greater than what your lungs can manage in a breath. So needless to say, this fascinated me. <laughs> okay, so people, you better start practicing your breathing, like really work on the muscles that control your, your lungs. Because if you're ever caught in one of these football stampedes, um, yeah, that's the only thing that's going to keep you alive, apparently, is if your your lung muscles are strong enough. Well, I mean, it's not super rare. A quick online search will show rare. you it happens all the time, all over the world. So you'll never catch me at one of these crazy football games or or soccer. <laughs> So we're, uh, oh, I'm just getting started with the topic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Keep going. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, I can continue it later. <laughs> or, okay. Yeah. Like next week or what, what, what are you feeling? What, what's your goal with this? What is your, uh, oh, I was going to get into, I was going to get into um, crowd dynamics and how the whole thing works. Okay. So, uh, so this happens all the time. Right. But what causes people to lose their seemingly lose their minds and allows all these things to happen? You know, all these strategies. Um, is it some sort of animalistic instinct that triggers our primitive brains or are we just, are people just acting rashly when this uh, stuff like this happens? Well, boost your answers and we'll be right <laughs> back after this musical break.
so um, on the fly, we're deciding to continue this later because I kind of did a lot and we <laughs> don't want to run over the show, but... I, yeah, and I still have a bunch of stuff on my list. And if we've only got 20 minutes left, I don't want to start fighting with you. Yeah, but um, <laughs> on next week, I'll be talking more about crowd dynamics. And basically, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about mass formation in the last couple of years. And that's really more of a group dynamic at a social level. But the stuff I've been really reading about, it's really more like more physical in nature. But I think they're really related. I'm not going to talk about mass formation, but I will talk about um, crowd dynamics and how people kind of like, lose their bodily autonomy but well we 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 will talk about mass formation but just not as part of this particular <laughs> thing right. because that's obviously it's a, a a pretty important topic this day and age as we see our society changing so much and so quickly in what are some very bizarre and like self-destructive ways and that i think has to do with a lot of like that kind of thing mass formation is is and as I think what's implied by action is mindset, right? Like when, if you can induce a certain mindset, then you can also encourage certain actions. So there's definitely a relationship there anyway. I just want to quickly mention, um, Isai Tony boosting again. He's saying, talk about your podcasting 2.0 setup to defend the network. Yeah, so I mean the the podcasting 2.0 setup is that more like you think in relation to how this like the the, the order of operations the the way we we run things like what do you what, what I is, guess so yeah I mean I would say that um, I mean right now we're really broadcasting the audio that we're you know like it's it's going into the roadcaster like we got the mics it's going in, into the roadcaster and then that's going into Captain Brunch's uh, laptop. And then there's a program that encodes that uh, all that audio into like digital stuff, and that's being sent to a um, an internet radio server that's just constantly playing. Now, so the lit tag, like so on, let's say Podverse or CurioCaster, is it pulling like it's pulling that audio from our stream directly from the stream? So that's uh, I mean, like internet radio stations have been around for at least twenty years. You know, it's 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 always been a thing, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, if uh, uh, specifically we're using an ice icecast server, and it is public, so you could actually look up ChimpStream and you'll find uh, it within a list of icecast servers. And I've sat there and listened to different icecast servers around the world. It's it's cool. You like you find all sorts of shit, um, news from Zimbabwe and um, somebody playing music in Germany. It's it's a lot of fun. So. What Lit does, what the podcasting 2.0 does, they basically take that that stream and just put it on on the podcast, and it's just like kind of simplify stuff. So if if you have you know if if you listen to to, um, to to different podcasts and you have your app and everything, and let's say those podcasters are good at doing live or they like doing live shows, like not every podcaster is a live show person. What podcasting 2.0 enables specifically the live item tag is to kind of just like flip a switch and then the podcasting app tells you hey your favorite podcaster is live right now listen in and you tap hey listen listen live and it's just pointing to that stream yeah so i expect eventually it's going to be a much more common feature in podcasting apps um because all it is is it's just playing audio from from a, a stream from another source as a, you know, so the podcast th that's playing audio from a hosted server 
that the, the file is just sitting there waiting to be consumed. Whereas with a live stream, I mean, obviously that data is only available at that moment and every moment the data is different, which is a fascinating phenomenon in and of itself. But all, all this, so it's, there's going to be a little bit of a technology difference and that might be why a lot of these podcast apps like Fountain haven't implemented yet because... Yeah, there's got to be something there. Like why hasn't Fountain done, done live yet? Uh, lit. Yeah, don't get me started. I don't know. Why haven't all these people done lit? You know, because it would be so fun and having like a lot more live podcasts would be fun. I mean, as cool as we are, like we're not that popular. So, uh, you know, if some of these popular podcasts were lit, that would be so awesome for them and for their audiences. It's an, it's an, a fantastic experience, I think. Well, little by little, I mean, and we also, as, as, um, as podcasters, we have to ask it of our hosting companies. And if the, if the hosting companies support it, then hopefully the podcast apps will in turn also add that support. Uh, for instance, I, I mentioned this before, but I mentioned again, um, I was trying to go, uh, lit on my other podcast. So the, that one is minor details is hosted through rss.com and they just don't have lit. It's, 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 even though it's in a very easy thing to just add to the RSS feed, they don't have it. And then I guess also you have to implement Podping because you, you have to have a way to tell uh, the index real quick. Hey, by the way, this podcast just updated. So updated in the feed. So that, that that's another important point. But one thing I will mention that RSS.com has just implemented what is they have support for the Albi, um, what's plugin? it called? Yeah, f- uh, for the browser uh, f- plugin for the browser extension exactly. So if you if you were to go to AudioGhost.Miami right now, which is uh, the, the website for my minor details podcast, if you have the Albi browser extension, you could boost directly from your browser to the show. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think I'm gonna sign up for Albi soon because. You know, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind sticking it, like associating it with my YouTube account, you know, just if random Bitcoiners like go to my YouTube account, then they can, they can send me sats through Albi. That'd be kind of cool. Um, so, you know, this reminds me that we are, we are getting a logo and a website. I hope <laughs> we, um, we've commissioned a Venezuelan designer through the peer to peer marketplace on telegram to design us a logo and then after that to do a website so at some point in the future we should have that yes that was very exciting yeah i'm excited too because you know like images and imagery are important that's why like memes are fun and and yeah i don't know so eventually i, I mean as, as much as i like your dog i i would prefer to have a, perhaps a slightly more appropriate cover art <laughs> yes and hopefully that gets here soon but for now we have panda's awesome memes <laughs> i love the the the, the, the manatee he has going lit <laughs> boosting <laughs> oh, hilarious man. it's very florida <laughs> and hopefully we'll have uh some of those images in our some of our show notes so um i have a a minor update on my gender journey Oh, okay. Which uh, we don't have a, a, a we jingle need a, for yet. That would be. You know. We need a gender journey. And jingle. by gender journey, I mean my <laughs> my switching from Windows eight point one to, to to Linux. You say it right. You're transitioning. I'm from transitioning <laughs> from <laughs> from Windows to Linux. There's nothing wrong with what we're saying. I don't know why you're laughing. It's um yes, it's all completely accurate and true. I am in transition, and. I support you. And the reason is, thank you. It's good. It's good to have the support of friends and family. It can be hard to make this transition on your own. Um, you know, like 
sometimes, you know, when you're born and you're just like, you're just born into windows and, and, or Apple as the case may be. And everyone just, you know, everyone just expects you to be windows or Apple. And, and as you, as you grow up and you start to explore your technology um, and digitalness, you, you, you might come to realize that actually, you know what, I'm not an Apple and I'm not a windows. And so this is the transition that I'm, I'm going through right now is that uh, if, if you've been following along, I'm being way too dramatic about this. If you've been following along, I'm almost done saving all my browser tabs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm God. almost done saving all my browser tabs. And the big, the big little update for this week is that I, I pulled out my external hard drive and I've saved almost all of like my files from my computer. So now I don't have to worry about losing any of my files. So, um, so really the last two steps are to like, like save all of my browser tabs. Um, well, so, and included with that is to decide which browser I'm going to use in Linux. And then finally to actually do it. Are your solid state drives still the big 2.5 inch ones? I don't know. I haven't looked at that since I built the computer. Oh, uh, that means yes. <laughs> Why? Oh man, the, the the newer air quotes newer, the little M2 ones, they're just tiny little thing. It's just so thin and just terabytes of data are just little, oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I definitely don't have one of those. That's not the situation for me at all. <laughs> and so fast. But that's okay. Maybe I'll you know, maybe I'll get another hard drive. Um, but right now, like right now my computer, I have, I think it's a 250 gig, um, like old hard, like old technology hard drive. And then I have a, a one terabyte. Um, and I built this computer like six years ago or something, but it's still a good computer at yeah. least for what I do with it. I mean, I don't do anything crazy technology and that's not my, my laptop. That's my desktop computer, which is just here to my left with three 21 inch monitors all staring at me all the time. Yeah, I think it's mostly your graphics card that was um, that does the heavy lifting. Yeah, it doesn't lift too well though. Cause it's not like you're running any like crazy programs that are rendering photo, video editing, m- music, anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I built it to play some video games, and th- that's about the only thing that it really needs to be good for for me, anyways. Panda says he has a computer he still uses from t- 2011. Good for you, Panda. But, you know, I would love to know about what the specs on that computer were or are. Um, so there was recently a remake of the movie Hellraiser. Did you ever see those movies? Yeah, definitely. And so I guess Hulu made a remake. And to be clear, I saw the old one. Not, not yeah, yeah, that's OK. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have too much to say about the new one. But I did see it because, you know, I do like horror movies and scary movies and psychological thrillers and et cetera. But what I noticed in this movie, I feel like they were woke virtue signaling. Isn't everything coming out on Netflix? At least eighty percent of things coming or out on Netflix or everything. Yeah, and but, but and the thing that that struck me was that it seemed like okay. So they had these these two gay characters that were like a couple, and they had like this Asian girl who was like the roommate, or maybe she was Latina. And then the main character was like this uh, drug addict who was trying to overcome her struggles with substance abuse. And it just seemed like everyone was either white or like whitewashed. 
you know, so like the Asian or Latina, like I, I don't even know, right? Because she's just like so generic and acceptable. And like the one non-white, like the of the gay couple, one of them was, I guess he was like a like BIPOC, but but you know, but like white enough, like that it, you couldn't even really be sure. Vanilla. Yeah, sure. And so I don't know. I just wonder, like, is is this what what it's coming to that like the left and the the Democrats are just so desperate to instill some kind of like moral authoritarianism in our culture that they're on the one hand going to try to be woke and virtue signal and on the other hand are just going to be like racist and monoculture and like everyone has to be the same. Like, I don't get it. Like, isn't the whole point of being woke that we're supposed to accept diversity? I think you're thinking about it too much. They're just thinking about like <laughs> what's going to sell. Hey, if we add this shit, like people will be interested. So hopefully it'll sell. Oh, that person's Asian. I identify with them. Oh, that person's gay. I identify with them. Like I think it's literally, no, that's that as simple as they think that about it. That person's Asian or Latino. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Sorry. I'm not sure. And, and the same with the, like the gay guy who was like, maybe he was black well, or maybe he was Latino or maybe he was Latino. That's probably the point then. You know, like, um, like the in-between where you're not sure, you the know, like, ambiguity. Exactly. I don't know. That's just, <sighs> cause like there's, there's a lot. And, then, of- and, and, and am I being so demanding that like, I need like my black people to be like blacker and I need my Asian people to be like, you, you know, gotta speak more like distinctly this. Asian, you know, so that I can't confuse them with Latino people. It's like, you have a lot of Asians, uh, particularly Chinese in like central American cultures. Cause a lot of Chinese came over here to, to work, just to find work. And so you, you do have these large communities of, of Chinese in Guatemala and Cuba and, and all over the place. And then we, as a result, we get this like really interesting Chinese Spanish food. So you do end up with a lot of people who you're not sure, are they like Spanish? Are they Chinese? Or is that just how like the indigenous people look? And it's like, so it, I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's the point. I don't really know exactly why I brought that up, but it's just something I was kind of like, I was thinking about the movie and then I was like, wait, there was no like dark people in the movie. And it's like this new version of colorism and, and like wokeism where, yeah, we're going to have diversity, but everyone's going to be like within three tones of skin. Well, I mean, at the same time, so like there's a lot of movies that are the exact opposite of that. So maybe they're just trying to do like a balance, like, Let's put all the really, really dark people in this movie. And in this movie, it's a little more like acceptable for the white people, you know? So they're just trying to like have two routes. So just to like play their cards. Like that movie that just came out um, with, um, it's a dramatization of, I don't know, some native African culture where women were, um, it's a matriarchal, matriarchal society. The Woman Kings, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's it's supposed to make you feel like, oh yes, women in power, yes, black women, black women. But then, you know, what about all the, all the other people who don't feel that way? So that's that's what they go watch, like Netflix show, like like you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it makes me think of like the example that um, Mars, who comes to Bitcoin Brunch, he says, you know, it's like if a restaurant had a big, you know, like pride flag on it, and then the idea is that. You know, if you if you're homophobic, like, don't come in here. 
And then if you're homophobic, you see the flag and you're like, I don't want to go in there. So yeah, whatever. I guess variety is the spice of life and they want something for everyone or something like that. As long as it sells. That's all, like, all, all they're really thinking about. <sighs> yeah, that's a big problem with, I feel like our culture though, is that we're, we're concerned, so concerned with selling out and not so concerned with like the quality of life. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the different tags in podcasting 2.0 and um, if you want to, which ones you want to support. Because there are, I mean, right now, obviously we're using the live item tag. Uh, we're using the social interact tag. So if you're on a federated um, server like Mastodon or PeerTube or, or Pleroma, you could actually go to the root post that I, I posted today, you can see it from your podcast app and you could actually comment to it. And then there's just like this string of comments. Uh, there's a lot of different things there. Um, and then recently we wanted to add transcripts to our podcasts and that's another tag. So that's going to be really fun, I think. But there's a couple of others there that I haven't even considered. There's the location tag. Um, that one kind of specifies, you know, okay, is this podcast about a specific place? And I think we've pretty much determined that this podcast is... Not all about Miami, but it's pretty much centered in Miami. But we can, like, so the tag is on a per instance basis. So, you know, like if we went on the road, like, I mean, can the tag only handle one place? I think I'd have to look into it, but... Um, I, like if we were talking from two different locations, for instance. But it's not per episode. I think it would be like just... For the whole podcast? Exactly, for, for, for the whole podcast. We have to find out because I feel like it... it I feel like it would update with every, like every time your RSS feed goes out, that's in the metadata of the file. You know, like, I don't think it's, it's associated with, I mean, this is my, like my limited understanding of how. It could be in either one. Work. I'm actually on the GitHub right now. So it's parent can either be the item, which is an episode or a channel, which is, I guess the whole thing. Yeah. But I assume if it's a channel, all that means is that the item isn't being updated. Like you're just leaving it. Because I, I assume that at any time you could literally just change the fee so that the next time an item got uploaded to the feed, it would now have this new location as opposed to the old location. That, that's just, again, that's just my assumption. I don't know specifically, but it, it would seem like they'd have to add a whole bunch of extra, you know, like stuff in there to make it distinct so that you could have one location for the whole channel, but no, instead you just wanted to have it like on a per, you see what I'm saying? Like on a per episode basis. I, um, I'm literally, you're just putting in the, um, the coordinates and, and you put the name. So like, but you're putting the coordinates and the name. Yeah. If you want to put the name, yeah. Or you could put, um, captain brunch's bunker underground and you put, it's, coordinates. Just a, it's an empty field. Right. And you can fill it with whatever you want. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like every time an item like gets up, it gets every time your feed gets updated as one of the metadata that is being sent with whatever is being updated. And so you can, you can change it every time. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Yeah. What but, other tags? Uh, the license tag. Ooh. So that will be like what kind of license our show is under. This element defines a license that is applied to the audio video content of a single episode or the audio video of a podcast as a whole. Custom licenses must always include a URL attribute. Implementers are encouraged to read the license tag companion document for complete okay, picture. So of we're going to have to talk about this a little more because obviously I'm like more down with kind of like an open kind of license, but I think we would specifically have to decide whether or not we want 
other people to be able to commercialize this work because there's like, there are licenses where like anyone can reproduce the work as long as they attribute. There are licenses where anyone can reproduce the work, but if they commercialize it, they have to then get a contract with us. There are licenses where anyone can reproduce it, but they would then have to make their own content also like, like there's a license yeah. where anyone would have to have the same license as us. We have to decide, you know, what do we want to do? Cause we don't have a license yet. Uh, I think we're just working under the don't be an asshole to us license. Yeah. I would say reproduces. Okay. Commercial use. No, like at all. Yeah. What if they want to pay us? Are they paying us in Bitcoin? <laughs> okay. We're, we're gonna have to <laughs> okay. Talk and about then the last one, uh, the block tag, this one's pretty simple. Um, do we want to block people from being able to, so in other words, do you want to block Apple, um, um, iTunes? Do you want to block Spotify, Google so Podcasts? Since I know this is voluntary, I'm going to say no. Like, let's not block anyone um, because they don't have to listen to us even if we even if we did want to block them. So, you know, we're not going to go out of our way to register with Apple, to register with Spotify, to make sure that our podcast goes on there. But if for some reason they somehow decided to start servicing our RSS feed on their services, I don't care. But I'm not going to like, you know, explicitly and specifically do that. It's like just like a Bitcoin brunch, right? Like if, if you want to go out of your way to like tell people about it, then go ahead. But I definitely didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> you know, because I get people who come to Bitcoin brunch and they're like, oh, I invited all these people and I'm inviting all these people. And I'm like, I didn't tell you to invite anyone. Like I didn't, I didn't, you know, you didn't sign up to be my, you know, my publicist. Like, and, and, but people tell me as though I should be thankful to them. I didn't expect your answer because last week you were like, oh, fuck Apple, fuck Spotify. We're not on there. Walled gardens, walled gardens. And now you're like, yeah, I don't want to block them. Because what I'm saying is that we can't block them. Like we, we, can. we can put it in the tag. Okay, Apple. Okay, Spotify. Don't, you know, don't, uh, don't serve our, our, our podcast, but they could still do it. Oh yeah, of course. So that's what I'm saying. Like why waste the time? You know, like why even bother? Just, you know, our, our, our podcast is there. Virtue signaling. Duh. Ugh. Okay. So we're, we're going to, I'm going to have to think about this some more and decide what I feel. Well, we virtue signal by saying, well, we're Bitcoin only and value for value. That's all virtue signaling. Like I don't take offense to that. I certainly don't mind blocking Apple and Spotify. Okay, we've got 48 more seconds. <laughs> but I also don't mind being on Apple and Spotify. So it's like, we got to pick one. <laughs> right, I got two topics that I guess I'll bring up next week. Um, and I look forward to talking about them. Um, That's right. Chimp is right. Chimp is right. Uh, Thank yeah, you, Jay. Thanks, Thank you, Jay. Jay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Jay, for coming on, and we hope to have you on again soon. We'll continue the discussion. I love history, um, and you know we're gonna try to try to develop a, a little bit better understanding of the role that central banks, but the role that central banks play in our economy and society. But otherwise, um, this has been lit. And it's Saturday night. That's right, Jim. It's been nice. Peace.